the Culture Guy podcast. Welcome back, everybody. A new episode. My name is Christian. I am your host. And obviously, this is the Culture Guy Podcast. And today, on this episode, we'll talk a little bit about color. That is the color of skin. Because skin color is a defining factor of life reality for almost everybody around the world. And depending on which country and culture you reside in, skin color may or may not determine how you're treated, how you're viewed, whether you are part of the majority group or a minority group, if you are seen as belonging or not belonging. My skin color, as some of you may know, is often referred to as being white. Um, the person that I um, had a nice conversation with, and you'll hear hear that in a little bit here, his skin color is often referred to as being black. None of us are really white or black. My skin is probably a little more pig-colored, pasty, pale, something rosy. Whereas my guest skin color is more of a dark brown hue. So it's fairly easy for us to categorize people in those white boxes and black boxes and yellow and brown and whatnot boxes. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you probably know that I have a little bit of a strong opinion around this. So um, as most of you know, I was born and raised in Germany, and I live in the United States. And this summer of 2018 has once again shown that skin color or ethnic origin really determine how people find their place in life or in the societies they live and work in. Um, there were some prominent cases being dragged through media again here in the U.S. It was a Actually, in both cases, athletes. And here in the U.S., it was an American football player who is not active any longer because of his stance on racial inequality. His name is Colin Kaepernick. And if you've watched Nike commercials, you may have come across that name and you know the controversy. Controversy? Controversy? Either way, um, that's going on around him and his stance on inequality and protesting um, ethnic inequality. And in Germany, we have seen another athlete, uh, another football player this time. I think the Americans would call it soccer. He is of Turkish origin, Mesut Özil, who was mm, kind of made the, the guinea pig for Germany's um, more than pathetic appearance in this year's World Cup. So either way, athletes, prominent figures, if they don't... Um, 
con uh, what's the what's the word if they don't comply with the uh, the overall mainstream narrative if they don't fit into that mold that society would like to see then they're easily made out to be either the the perpetrators or the, the ones that are guilty for something that doesn't work in society it, it's rather silly as most of you will probably agree and if you don't drop me a line I'd be happy to have that conversation now why does this matter because today my guest is a friend that I've met many years ago here in the United States and we'll share our story how we met in in our conversation but Trevor Gillies, and mind you, that's not the Trevor Gillies that some Canadians may remember as a hockey player. No, this Trevor Gillies is um, born and raised in Germany, but an American citizen. And he had his experience of being a person of color, quote unquote, growing up in a country where black people were definitely a minority. So um, here's Trevor and I. So I'm sitting here today with Trevor Gillies and... I told you a little bit about him. Here, here's how I met Trevor. It was at a chamber, a German-American Chamber of Commerce function in Atlanta. I think it was yep. one of the first times that I attended it. And they have those name tags that you wear. And since my last name comes with a umlaut, the funky dots over the O, it was very, very apparent to everybody attending that guy's got to be a German speaker. So enter the picture trevor he approaches me and you gotta know if you if you check the show notes you'll see trevor is of a darker complexion so he opens his mouth and out of his mouth drops the thickest of bavarian accents that i did not expect coming from a person of his physical appearance right there we go here here's christian with his bias we all have our secret um prejudices and and expectations so i didn't expect a darker-skinned individual to speak that type of dialect. Trevor, how come you don't speak ger proper German? Or how do you speak German at all? So the uh, story all begins, Christian, uh, in uh, Nuremberg, Germany, January 12th, 1980. Maybe I shouldn't put my date of birth out there, but <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Um, but yeah, I was born and raised in Germany, Christian. And first of all, thank you for the opportunity to uh, uh, discuss talk with you today. Uh, yeah. We've chatted many times, uh, so this is a good opportunity. Um, but yeah, I was born and raised in Germany. Uh, but you're not, are you German? Not uh, German. So your mom is from Columbus, Georgia. There you uh, go. <laughs> southern. Yeah, Southern, very Southern. Um, and my dad is from Trinidad. So uh, yeah, very distant from German. I just happened to be born in Germany. And my parents had a very unique... Uh, outlook on how to raise me in Germany. I think they knew early on that they were going to be there for a long time, not the regular three or four year stint that a lot of Americans do. So, so your parents were in the military or uh, civilian? Dad was, uh, yeah, dad my dad was, was okay. mom was civilian uh, teacher. All right. Uh, so, so unlike most U.S. troop members who are stationed in Germany, your family chose not to live in the barracks or on campus, we never on, lived on, on base. base. So yeah, you lived, lived amongst base. other Germans Always. In, in northern Bavaria. Exactly. And yep. that's how you developed that unique, or how you learned German in, in the way that the, the, the town folks speak there, right? Exactly. So from the town folks, plus uh, my parents decided at an early age uh, in my life to enroll me in the German uh, Grundschule, uh, so basically German 
elementary school. Uh, yeah, elementary school, and I did that all the way up through uh, the equivalent of high school. So wow. kindergarten through ninth grade. Kindergarten and first grade were a little mixed. Mm-hmm. It was weird. I, I would go uh, during the day to, I'm pretty sure it was during the day to American a high school, like on mm-hmm. base. Right. Well, not high school, but elementary school um, or kindergarten. And then in the evening afternoons would go to German. So you, uh, your parents made a deliberate decision and effort to immerse you in the culture and the language yes. of the country that they were based in, and they, they did not choose for you that bubble of uh, the, the U.S. military base. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And uh, to this day, uh, you know, I know some of the triggers which caused that decision, uh, one of them being uh, the Schaefers. It was a German family who mm-hmm. lived across the street. Uh, wife was from French, was like a junior pro tennis player at some point, mm-hmm. um, and the husband is uh, a German police officer, and they had kids uh, that they adopted. All of them were adopted, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, somehow my parents met them. Next thing I know, you know, I'm being dropped off at a German uh, kindergarten, you know? <laughs> now, um, you, you told me in the many times we, we chatted about this before that you were the only black kid there in school. Were there any other people that didn't look, quote-unquote, typically German? So, uh, yeah, for the uh, entirety of my experience with the German school system, never saw... Uh, Turkish was probably the closest to anything non-Caucasian uh, mm-hmm. that, that I saw. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, this is in the 80s, early 90s, weren't even that many uh, Turkish kids, you know, so it's mainly, you know, I'm very easy to find in my class photos, <laughs> of which I meant to, uh, you know, I can gladly provide some if, <laughs> if you want to add those. Uh... <laughs> well, we can certainly do that. Now, at, at the point of our recording, there is this renewed awareness within the German-speaking world and maybe even beyond throughout Europe, and then we have a similar conversations going on in North America. Um we had the, the these public debates about how racist are we as when I say we the Germans yep. are we uh, is the German society uh, really fully embracing those members of society that do not look uh, traditionally German and meaning white and and quote unquote Caucasian mm-hmm. so. Uh, since Germany apparently has difficulty defining for itself what does it mean to be German? Does it mean that one speaks the language fluently and adheres to her laws and pays taxes in Germany? Does that make you German? Or do you have to be what some call biologically, ethnically a German? Um, And while this debate is still ongoing and somehow unresolved, what was your experience? You were there in the 80s and 90s. You were the only... Um, black kid on the block or in, mm-hmm. in town. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you belonged? Did you feel like you were something special or were you treated in a way that today as an adult looking back you think, man, this was not okay? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag, Christian. Uh, you know, definitely treated differently from, uh, from day one. Um, but I was always aware that, uh, you know, most of it wasn't... Uh, you know, don't think hateful. I mean, you place a black kid in a, a German school in Bavaria, you know, so, so even at a young age, like, I kind of expected it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it was already even 
before being dropped off on that first day of school, I was already aware, like, okay, this is going to be a little weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a little different. And I remember vaguely my parents having discussions. But uh, uh, when I say a mixed bag, you, you know, there were some kids. And I have to say, for some reason, it was mainly uh, the girls um, were, you know, a bit approached it a bit more nicer. Um, you know, it was kind of like uh, nobody wanted to talk to me. I remember for first several weeks, uh, you remember in the pause, you know, in the break time, mm-hmm. uh, little, little, you uh, look like a little quad area surrounded by classroom buildings. Seems like every German school looked like that. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be sitting out there by myself a lot of times. So, um, you know, it was usually uh, in the very first person. It was a little German girl that just approached me and sat with me, asked my name. Um, but then, you know, I can also remember there were kids that, you know, ah, you know, there goes a, you know, N word in German. You know, mm, okay. um, so. It was a mixed bag of that. Um, so there was the finger pointing and yeah, the Yeah, a lot of that. The, the whispering. Uh, mm-hmm. the, so that went on for probably, you know, the first... Uh, really, in kindergarten, it wasn't that much of a, a top uh, a thing for some reason. Um, but as you grew older, the kids became more aware, first, more second, aware of the difference? Third grade, yeah. yeah. So the, so the first, I'd say, three years was like a constant... Uh, you know, me, uh, and I'm, you know, I was kind of an aggressive kid, so I, I didn't just let anybody call me right. any kind of name. Right. Um, so I probably didn't always react the best, best to it. So I would say it was, uh, if I had to break it down, you know, probably 60% of kids acting like that. 40% was just more of a curiosity. Right. Like, what is this uh, right. African-American kid, this black kid? Did they, ever rub you, did they ever rub your skin and ask, does it come off? Uh, all the time, all yeah. Stuff, that, yeah. yeah all, all of those things, especially as a kid. So yeah. um, part of me and my reactions were also a mixed bag because, um, you know, some of it, I, you know, I kind of like the attention. I've never shied away from attention, really. So, um, but, you know, the, the wrong attention, the attention that was a little aggressive and trying to poke at me, um, you know, I did always... You know, I would call them names back. I would make up things to call them. You so you, you just didn't take it lying down. So you, no. you, you, you stood your ground or you, you, you stood up for who you are. Yeah. How, how did your parents or did your parents prepare you for um, the experience? Or did they just throw you in cold water and say, okay, Trevor, I, swim? I don't think they really could have. You know, they, didn't have any, they had never done this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so... Um, I, you know, I remember, like uh, like I said, I remember some conversations, but I kind of just had to, I think they adapted as the situation, and it did, you know, I can be honest, it get, get bad at times. I mean, I was getting in fights at school. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a couple of teachers, some teachers, you most teachers would really just ignore the topic, but some teachers would, like, you know, speak out in front of the class, uh, you know, like, kind of address the pink elephant right. in the room in front of the class, which... I kind of liked it and hated it, but uh, you know, I remember one te- teacher, Frau Frau Fuchs, <laughs> <laughs> Frau Fuchs, Ms. yeah, Fox. <laughs> yeah, Miss Fox, um, you know, basically gave me permission in front of the class to, you know, like not physically defend myself, but you know, if you if you're gonna poke fun at Trevor. You know, don't be surprised if he pokes fun at you. You know, it goes both ways. Oh, okay. So she opened the door to the equal door, treatment. Yeah. Okay. She did. She did. And she kind of used it as a... She was one of my favorite teachers. Um, 
you know, and I will say I was not a, an angel in school anyways. I kind of would sometimes feed off the attention mm-hmm. um, and then get myself into trouble doing, you know, things so, that so kids do. How, how old were you when your parents or when you moved back to the United States? 20. Uh, almost closer to 21 than 20. Yeah. So, so you're... you're all these formative years of, of childhood and teenage years you spent in Germany and you no. did not experience the um, racial slash ethnic dynamic in the U.S. Um, not the same way that an African-American who grew up here would have. Nah, not really. I mean, my mom was a teacher, so every summer, uh, you know, we, we, we would be here uh, in the U.S., uh, primarily down in Columbus, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also where my parents met because <laughs> there's a huge military base down there. So, um, you know, being attached to the military, first of all, takes some of the racial element out of it. Right. Uh, so the, more, the, yeah. the audience may not be aware of this. So yeah. um, let's explain. We, we have listeners from all over the world who are not too familiar with how the U.S. military operates. So, And I have not served in the U.S. military, but I was told by many active and former service people that race plays a lot less of a role in the U.S. military than Absolutely. it does in civilian society. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, you know, I think because it takes away, uh, I guess, some of the class differential. Right. Uh, you know, it evens out the pay scale. I um, mean, you, know, you know, unless you're like a commander general or something, um, you know, you're, you're everybody kind of has access to the same resources. Right. You go into the same places, so... Um, you know, it's, it's just different. So, and, and, and I don't want to say there's no, uh, uh, visibility of, you know, racism within, uh, you know, the military are even living on base. There exists that too, but it's nothing like yeah. what, what I would hear about. My only really exposure is what I would hear about and see in the news, you know, learn early on who MLK was, uh, through my family, mm-hmm. um, especially, uh, you know, my mom and her sister, you know, these are people that were in their 20s or teenagers, uh, you know, when during civil rights. Civil rights and for those of you who don't know, the area that Trevor grew up in is basically in the heart of where the civil rights movement happened, right there. Yeah, in, well, where my mother in, grew up, yeah. In, 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 yeah, excuse me, where yeah. your mom grew up. So mm-hmm. in, in, in the South, in Georgia, Alabama, and, and throughout that area. Now, you're an adult now, you live in the U.S., and do, do you think, looking back, on your childhood experience mm-hmm. and now being in, in the U.S. in a country that still is, has not fully resolved its ethnical yeah. uh, tensions, um, do you feel that you're in a different position than your, um, I, w- I don't want to say typical, but, but uh, are you in a different position than an African-American in the U.S. who grew up here because of your German upbringing? Do you, do you look at the issues that are going on here in the U.S. or in Germany when it comes to race and ethnic tensions? Do you view that through a different lens because of your upbringing? Uh, I think absolutely I do. Um, you know, it, it just, you know, any African-American I meet over here, that you know, maybe really any American, but if we're specifying other African-Americans that grew up here, uh, they, they do look at it uh, a little differently. You know, I find... Uh, there's still some of the same sentiment that maybe existed a long time ago mm. uh, during and before the civil rights movement. Uh, you know, and a lot of people, which I just, uh, you know, I can't naturally, I don't naturally have that because I didn't grow up here. Um, 
So what I experienced, while I would say, you know, uh, was composed in Germany, was composed of some racist elements, a lot of it was just really, I was usually the only black guy around. Right. To be you, honest. You, you know, the you black the, kid around. You were the guinea pig that they... Yeah, was, yeah. yeah so yeah. Th that was more of it, more so than... Uh, you know, like hateful and vengeance. Uh, right. But th but there were things I know that were happening. That, you know, you know the, the you know the topic of girls sometimes. I mean, I remember one girl, <laughs> an early age funny story. I remember uh, a little girl that I liked. Um, she liked me. Um, you know, little, little uh, kitty kitty holding hands and stuff like that. But uh, one day she just told me like uh, she talked to her parents and her parents said she can't. Um, be with someone like me. Oh, like, wow. you can't be friends with someone like me. So, you know, little things like that would happen. I was like, but... So so you, you realized yeah. at, at, at a young age that the the difference or the, the prejudice doesn't necessarily come from your age peer, but, but it comes from the adults or the, the older, the, the adult generation, the parent generation who, who projects their biases onto their kids, and, and that's how it's being perpetuated. That's something I would say, uh, after my fifth grade, I moved to a different German school, um, mm. about maybe uh, 60 miles uh, south of uh, Nuremberg, even. Um, and then there, more so, I, uh, you know, I noticed uh, the influence of the older generation right. of, of parents. I had another experience with some family friends of uh, my parents. It, it is... Uh, a guy, some random guy my dad met, that German guy, he also taught me how to surf. His mom. You know, so these are people that went through World War Two. Th these right. are, um, she's probably the most racist person I ever met in Germany. You know, hers was outright, like... Yeah, you're black and I don't you're like inferior, you, you know, know, I don't right, like yeah. you. Like, I don't care if my son uh, yeah. likes you. And, mm. um, you know, it was, yeah, so that was, you can tell... Well, and you find these yeah. types of people in the U.S. as well. You just, yeah, yeah you, I'm sure there there are some holes where they dwell. Yes, <laughs> right? absolutely, absolutely. So fast forward into today. So yes. you now live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. You've been oh, living. Yep. You've been living in Atlanta for many, many years. So you're you're a child of the South, whether it's Germany or the U.S. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I know a little bit what you do, so I'm going to let you explain this. But you work for the U.S. subsidiary of a German staffing firm here, and your yes. personal and professional life experience basically qualifies you to do or to serve your clients and your company in a very specific niche. So how, how are you utilizing your experience, your unique skills in, in, at work today? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, if I may say, uh, you know, about Hoffman. Hoffman, uh, as Christian stated, is a German... Uh, Staffing and Recruitment Agency, um, established in 1985, by coincidence, headquartered out of Nuremberg, Germany. Um, <laughs> go with figure. Their, yeah, go figure. Um, I, I, and everybody, I did not elect that. That's just really a coincidence. Um, so uh, in, in 2010, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 2008, actually, uh, the company decided to open a U.S. subsidiary. I joined them shortly after that. Um, and now uh, I'm based out of uh, Chattanooga. Yeah. All right. So, so you you serve your your staffing firm serves not only clients in Chattanooga but throughout the southeast, correct? Yeah, and then the firm as a whole, uh, really throughout the the country. Okay. Yeah. And 
is it fair to say that a, a majority of Hoffman's clients are German companies or European companies doing business in the U.S.? Uh, yes. Uh, initially, when the company started, it was probably to almost 100%. Um, over time, that's diversified. For what my client base, the clients I deal with, uh, it's almost uh, about 90%. And you know, to go back to your original question, uh, you know, I do think my experiences uh, give me a unique uh, advantage, mm-hmm. uh, but perspective in speaking with German professionals that are over here trying to get a grasp on how Americans do things in relation to HR, mm-hmm. uh, to communication with a diverse, diverse uh, workforce. Um, so not too many Americans from, say, my competitors can say, hey, I actually went through the German school system. I actually right. did a German uh, internship. You know, I've, I've had light exposure to the dual, uh, dual education and uh, program in so Germany. For, for those listeners that are not aware what that yeah. means, that so Germany has a unique vocational technical training concept, which is referred to as a dual system where um, apprentices or trainees go through um, a hybrid educational format where they would work in their respective field on the shop floor out in the field in their technical um, specification. And part of their training would also be in the classroom, which would then teach the um, job-appropriate theoretical skills that come with the practical skills they are being taught at work. So that that brings me to your clients. I would assume that a lot of the German companies or Central European companies setting up shop in the U.S. for the first time have a certain expectation of what the labor market in the U.S. might look like, and that expectation might very well be based on their experience in the home market. Yes. Not always does that really <laughs> match up or align with the reality here, yeah, right? So no. um, how, how, how are you the bridge or how are you the connector and the explainer, basically, to, to help your clients understand how the U.S. labor market is different from that in Europe? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, some of the things that come up uh, frequently uh, in in the type of positions that we work on, um, it really comes down to the differences in the educational system. Right. Um, So, you know, I really have to start outright um, almost, uh, you know, I hate to say it because I am American, but almost uh, in some cases lowering uh, their expectations and realizing that uh, the people we are going to get them, um, you know, not going to be 100% like for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we do get round peg. Um, many times we do. But uh, really a lot of times, um, you know, and every company is different too. So, um, you know, we're having to really, uh, just from a technical standpoint, kind of make sure their expectations are in the right place. And then, as you know, Christian, from a, a cultural standpoint, uh, make sure these people realize, like, and especially with new companies that, you know, we deal with people who have no clue uh, what's going on. They have the right. expertise as far as culture, people, you know, we're dealing with a lot of engineers. No offense to the engineers um, <laughs> and technical people out there. But, uh, um, you know, and a lot of these are people that maybe were not in management positions even in Germany. Right. And now they're coming here and taking on leadership positions and yeah. having to navigate... Yeah in a different cultural environment. Exactly. And so so not only do you, with your company, provide 
talent mm-hmm. for whatever forever need they have to fill or the demand that you have to fill but you you're also basically in a in a consultancy Absolutely. role where where you help your clients understand what's possible what's not possible and exactly. what they need to do in conjunction with you to make it possible yeah from uh you know u.s law you know hr law compliance standpoint osha uh, osha yeah. um but but again what's really important those things you can learn um you know you can set systems in place to control those what's really important uh you know i think is that communication that cultural um uh you know we're not a training company but we have to talk to our clients about that um, and partner with them to many times uh, develop uh, training training programs for mainly newer companies, the established companies. They've already, uh, you know, dealt with this issue many times. Right. You know, we don't have to tell Siemens how to do this, you know, or we don't have to tell BMW how to deal with that topic. But it's, uh, you know, a lot of them, maybe they're suppliers or something right. like that. So, so the, the, you, 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 your personal story adds... A layer of complexity to the service you can provide because other staffing firms may not have that deep insight into um, the differences of the transatlantic. I'd, I'd say it's rare. Um, you know, I've met many peers uh, within my industry, and you know, it's rare. Um, as you know, Christian Europeans uh, a lot of times make claims that Americans as a whole aren't that you know as cultural, maybe as. Um, other people are as interested in other cultures, or maybe um, they just never had a chance to be exposed to. Yeah, and as much, right? yeah, exactly. So like in defense um, of the Americans, in, in defense of the Americans, um, you know, and again, I'm, you know, I hear a lot of what Europeans, as you do, uh, say about Americans. Um, and I can attest, I know a lot of Americans. You know, very few of them can speak a second language. Well, and, and aside from those um, yeah. stereotypes, I think I think you learn through your childhood, mm-hmm. and I learned through my personal life experience, and many of our listeners probably have have similar stories. Which, by the way, I would encourage you to share with me, so you might be the next guest on this program. <laughs> um, but I think aside from those stereotypes that we found ourselves in growing up, I think the the benefit that you and I and other bicultural, multicultural individuals have is we can see past the the label of the stereotype and and and, and, and uh, peel back those layers of the onions if you go back to the blog section so you're you might be listening to this podcast on itunes or on stitcher i'd encourage you to go back to the website theculturemastery.com you'll see the podcast tab you'll see the blog tab in the blog you'll see an article that was published in i want to say second quarter of 2018 about the career chances and the relevance of bicultural people in in the global workplace that many companies are still underestimating the the benefit biculturals and multiculturals can have to your organization and trevor right here is a testimony to that trevor thank you for taking time we'll make sure that people know how to find you we'll post it in the show notes so check it out you'll see where to find trevor online his linkedin profile you'll get a link to the company he works for and any any parting shots? Any parting words here, Trevor? Uh, auf Wiedersehen, everybody. It's <laughs> been a pleasure. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> All righty, thank you. Trevor Gillies. If you 
you want to find out what Trevor does and how he works with his clients, please go back to the website. Go check the show notes. There's links to his social profiles and enough information to find him online and in the real world. And if you have had similar experiences growing up or if you're still experiencing unequal treatment because of where you're from and where you live now, feel free to reach out to me. Let's see if we can have you on the program. Or if you have been crossing cultures, whether it be for work, for love, for life, let us know. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear your story. Maybe you want to share your story with the world through this podcast. What was it like for you? What is it like for you to make life outside of your birth culture? And maybe more importantly, what did you learn from adjusting to other cultures? Was it hard? And if so, how did you make it work? How did you overcome the hard part? The way to find me is through the show notes. You can see all the social profiles there. You'll find me on Facebook, The Culture Guy. You'll find me on Twitter, at Hüffele. You'll find me on Instagram. You'll find me on, oh gosh, on LinkedIn too. And there's still the good old email and phone. It's all on the website. So this, the Culture Guys out for now. Always remember, trust your process. And if you don't get culture, culture gets you. Thank you.